Thank you. Are we, are we on? Sounds like we are. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, just want to say what a gift and a pleasure it always is to come to Chicago. Um, we've been friends of Rollin and B going back, you know, 20 years at this point, um, or I guess about 19 or 18 years since, since Tracy was a student at UNC. Um, we, and we've been partners in the gospel basically ever since. Uh, Rollin and I went on a mission trip together 15 summers ago to Krakow, Poland. I think it was maybe his first mission trip, and now he's been on dozens and dozens more. Um, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a gospel friendship, a gospel partnership. Um, you know, they feel like an uncle and aunt to us. They feel like cousins uh, their children do. And so we're beyond grateful uh, for their friendship. And, and to all of you, it's, it's a joy every time we get to get out here. Um, we hope to do it uh, more often in, in this coming year than we've been able to recently. Um, but just a, just a joy to be here. Um, and I loved uh, Pastor Rollins' intro, really, uh, to the World Cup. Um, those, those who know me well know that the month of the World Cup is, is among the most exciting times of my life. I'm, I'm really into it. We always constantly kind of hijack the, the remotes at work. Normally they're on financial television, but this month I always find a way to turn it to, to the game that's on. Um, and we just, uh, we love it so much. And as I, I was just thinking to myself, these players work so incredibly hard when they win, they're jubilant. When they lose, they're devastated. And that extends to really the whole nation that's behind them. And I was thinking, uh, this is what Paul said when he said, they do all this, all these athletes, they do this to, to achieve a crown that's going to fade away, right? That's what's going to happen. The thing about the World Cup, you win it, Actually, four years later, you have to give it back. You can't even keep it forever. Four years later, you hand it back, and then the, the next team that wins, unless you repeat, which basically almost, almost never happens, um, you're handing it back. Uh, but Paul said when he was writing to the Corinthians about athletes, he said, they're doing all this, and it's great. Physical training is great, but they're doing it to attain something that perishes. But what we're working for is imperishable. So the work of the gospel, the work of the kingdom, that's, that's, I thought to myself, that's the real World Cup. It's really the mission, the thing that's the most exciting is to take the gospel all the way around the world, to preach this kingdom, to make disciples, to advance God's work. That's really the thing that should get us the most jubilant, the most excited when people come to faith in Jesus, because that's really what gets the angels rejoicing. You know what? I'm pretty sure they're not that bothered about which of the two countries kicks a ball into a net. But when someone comes to faith in Jesus, angels rejoice. Everything shuts down so they can celebrate and be jubilant. And so that's why I kind of titled this message The Real World Cup, because that's the thing we're really working for, the thing that's going to last. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll start talking. Father in heaven, we are beyond grateful that we have this privilege that you called us our friends. You said, I'm going to let you know my business and you're going to engage in that business. You're going to do business until I return. Thank you, Father, for the immense privilege of being called as your children, as your evangelists, your disciple makers, your church planters, your leaders. God, thank you for those who use uh, medicine, who use business, who use the arts, who use uh, government service, who use marketing, who use administration, every sphere uh, that your kingdom might be advanced. We bless your name. We pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Amen.
as I thought about today, I, I thought to myself, you, you remember so many people by their very last words. Those are some of the most memorable. So Admiral Nelson, as he's dying at the Battle of Trafalgar, he says, thank God I've done my duty. And for generations of people growing up in English schools, they know that line because it's inculcated into them. Doing your duty is more important in battle is more important than staying alive. And that was kind of the, if you grew up in an English boarding school, you could not avoid knowing about Admiral Nelson and knowing about his last words, thank God I've done my duty. Think about uh, Reverend Martin Luther King when he said, I've been to the mountaintop, I've looked over, God's allowed me to see the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I know we as a people will get to the promised land. Uh, I think about Abraham Lincoln, his second inaugural address, not very long before he was assassinated, he said, we don't have malice toward anyone. He said, with malice toward none and with charity for all, Uh, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let's continue in the work we are to bind up the wounds of the nation. So that was his message and that was the thing that he would be remembered for. And so with Jesus, our Savior and Lord, the greatest teacher who ever lived, it's incumbent upon us to remember, now what were his last words? What was the thing that he said, I'm about to leave and go to heaven and, and begin my sitting down at the right hand of the Father these last words should be our first concern. Those should be the the last things he said, the things he said right before he was taken up to heaven. Those should be the things that are on our minds every day. How do we live out Jesus' last words as our very first concern? I want to take a brief moment today to give you a history lesson. I know for those of you who are in school and it's summer and you're out of school, you're probably devastated that you can't wake up at 8 a.m. tomorrow and go to a history lecture. Um, So I've prepared one for you. All right, but it's going to be fast. In, in about 20 minutes, which is the first half of the message, I'm going to give you the entire history of the world from the beginning of time until the end of time in just 20 minutes. And everything that you learn in history can fit somewhere on this timeline. History begins with God's eternal plan to fill the earth with his glory and to create people that they might fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. This is what Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so you see from the very first chapter, from the very beginning of the story, it's God's vision and our part to play inside that vision. God was telling the very first people, this is my vision that the earth would be filled with my glory as the waters cover the sea. And now here's your role. Here's your responsibility. Here's your share. Here's what you do in that. And all of humanity, we, we all sprang from this one man and from this one woman. We've all been created into God's families. There's no room whatsoever for hatred or enmity based on who you are, based on where you came from. We all proceed, Scripture says, from one man and one woman. And from the creation, our calling to reach the whole world, it was already embedded. That was God's plan and God's design from the very beginning. Unfortunately, there was a choice by the first humans and by those who followed him to turn away from God 
to sink into greater and greater desolation and depravity and sin. So God said, we're going to start over. We're going to purify this world. We're going to wash it clean completely and flood it. But I'm going to save eight people because I found this man Noah and his family. I can preserve them and I can start over. And so through Noah came the salvation of eight people, the animals. They proceeded to have children who had children, etc. And finally we come to a man called Abram. And this is what God said to Abram at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Get out of your country, from your family, from your family's father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, this is, it could not be more typical as a statement of divine calling. God spends 80% of the time telling him, here are all the things you're leaving. He's very specific, very detailed. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's house and go. And so Abraham's probably thinking, okay, well now he's going to tell me you're moving 225 miles north, northeast. You're going to move to this place. There will be a, and God just says, go to the land I will show you. God was extremely specific about all the things he was supposed to leave. And in the way that he was going, it was going to have to be by faith. And God knew the faith that I need to build a nation of people, I have to see it displayed from the very beginning. So, and I think about those of you in this fellowship, you've left the comfortable, you've left the known, you've left the places that you knew, the family that you knew, many of you, to go to this land to be a servant of the gospel here, right? And so, God didn't show you at the beginning, here's all the things I'm going to, here's all the provisions I'm going to make for you. He just showed you that you needed to trust him and you needed to obey, right? So Abraham's calling is very consistent with how he's called many of us. Leave the comfortable, leave the known, and go to the land, go to the place where he's showing us. And, but, but God did that with a very specific promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so it's important, and what we see in Scripture again and again is, the obedience of one person can shape a whole nation, right? The obedience of one human being is a choice that Hannah was someone who said, God, if you just give me a son, I'm going to dedicate him to you all the days of my life. The son came, she followed through in that obedience, and that was an era when no one heard the word of God. The word of the Lord was rare. And then all of a sudden Samuel appeared and God started to speak again. And, and the word to the nation came, including the anointing of God's chosen king. So it all came from an act of obedience. And I love what comes out here in this text is that we see a child, God sees a nation. You remember when Rebecca was pregnant with twins, and she said, you know, this doesn't feel like normal sickness. It feels like there's actually a war going on inside me. And she inquired of the Lord, and the word that came to her was, that's because two nations are fighting inside of you, right? So God didn't look down and say, oh, it's two babies. God saw ahead to the future, and he said, it's two nations that are, that are at war within you. And that's the same thing God said to Abraham. Abraham would wait more than 25 years for a single child, and he had to have the faith to believe that 
God's going to make your, your heirs as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So from Abraham rose a great nation. This nation was mistreated and enslaved by the Egyptians, liberated, brought out to freedom, and they lived um, in this, this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey that God uh, l- enabled them to, to liberate and go in and live inside. And, and from them arose David, this worshiper king, this one whose heart was after God's own heart. And there was this community of, of people who were worshipers of God, who wrote songs to praise him. And w- one of these is so indicative of God's heart for the nations that, that even in that era was, was known to those whose hearts were close to God. This is Psalm 67. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Then the earth will yield her increase. God, our own God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. So you see, the psalmist, even though this was a nation that was chosen by God, the psalmist knew that it was never God's intent for them to hold this blessing all to themselves. And that's why he said, God bless us so we can be a blessing to the nation so all the earth can experience the joy and the blessing of being God's children united under him. What's interesting about this psalm is it's in the same language of the curse that was spoken over Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, except it's reversed. Um, those of you who might be Cubs fans know that for a lot of years there was talk of let's reverse the curse, right? That was over the Cubs. Um, and so uh, thank God it, w- it was eventually uh, reversed. But um, what's interesting here is in Genesis 3, remember the curse that God gave to the man. The land's going to be cursed for your sake. It's going to be hard to bring forth crops, right? The psalmist is reversing that. He's saying, well, if the nations worship God, what will happen is then the earth will yield its increase, right? So he's reversing that language. He's saying, even as God said to the man, the ground's cursed for your sake. Now he's saying, well, if all the nations worship him, then in those places where he worship him, we'll experience this blessing and the ground will yield this increase, right? So it's the reversing of the curse and bringing a blessing through all the nations fearing, worshiping, and obeying God. The focus is always outward. It's never, you're going to be blessed so you can just sit back on your laurels, get comfortable, and enjoy it, right? It's, you're going to be blessed so that nations will know him, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him, so that every family of the earth will be blessed. The language never changes. It's, I'm not going to bless you so you can kind of sit back comfortably and wait till I return. It's, I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the nations. After David came, a long string of kings. Some were righteous, some were wicked, but the kind of the trend line, if you will, was toward greater and greater degradation of the nations of Israel and Judah. Finally, they became exiles. So except for, you know, sort of a small number of people left behind a sort of subsistence farm, Almost everybody gets either killed, wiped out, or exiled uh, to Babylon. Babylon falls, another kingdom comes in, and so on. But there's this exile named Daniel. He's serving God. He's following him faithfully. And at one point, because everyone's jealous of him, 
There's nothing evil they can find in his character. So they say, let's, let's trap him based on his relationship with his God. So they get him, they, they catch him praying when he's not supposed to be praying. He's thrown into the lion's den. The king is troubled by this all night. And God sends an angel to shut the mouths of the lion. So when the king comes in the morning and discovers that Daniel has not been killed, he says that he, he issues a decree to all the nations that are under his dominion to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not end. His dominion shall endure to the end. So this is fascinating, right? So even in a time when it seems like God's purposes are almost snuffed out, just a few people serving him in exile and even um, worshiping, him, worshiping him in a way that's against the law. Even so, God orchestrates his circumstances so that the king of that time who rules the largest uh, kingdom at the time sends out a decree and says, everyone under my dominion, you have to worship the God of Daniel. So you can see, irrespective of what was going on at the time, God's plan never changed. In every circumstance, he's working so that people in the entire expanse of the earth would know, trust, love, and obey God. God used a wicked king to draw and, and to proclaim the truth about who God was to the ends of the earth. So there was a, some of the exiles were allowed to return after some time. There's a long, uh, some more prophets, and then a long period of silence until the time of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who prepared and proclaimed that the Lord is coming. He's going to be here. Which pointed the way to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in about three years of active ministry, preached the gospel, drove out demons, healed the sick, predicted ahead of time, and then was crucified, dead, buried, raised to life on the third day, appeared to more than 500 people to declare that he was in fact raised from the dead, and then he ascended to heaven. Before he went to heaven, he spoke to his disciples and the, the Bible says he, he opened their minds to understand everything that the scriptures had foretold about him with the Psalms, the law, and the prophets. Jesus said to them, it was written and it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And so this was the culmination of all those prophetic words that had spoken of the time to come when a Messiah would come. Jesus was the fulfillment of all those things. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died in our place. God raised him from the dead to prove that he was the Son of God. And salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so when we have this good news, it's important to know it's the only good news. It's not like you can go to the supermarket on the shelf and there are you know, 15 different kinds of cereal you might prefer and any, any is just as good as any other potentially um, from a flavor perspective. The truth is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father 
except through Him. There is no other solution. There is no other way. Through the power of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' resurrection, the church expanded, it, it, it grew, and it filled the earth with the truth of the gospel to the point where we are today. Um, but even during the age of the apostles, the last apostle who had walked with Jesus through his years of ministry, John, before he died, he saw a vision of the future and what would be at the culmination of history. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, sitting before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Eventually, we are going to experience the culmination of all of these stories of history. So think about them one by one. We're going to return to the unity of one family from all nations as it was before the fall. We're going to join people from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven as was foretold by God to Abraham at the very beginning when he didn't even have any children. We're going to experience the, remember that prayer of Psalms that we read, Psalm 67, let all the nations praise you. We're going to experience the fulfillment of that psalmic prayer as all nations are represented in heaven. We're going to experience the obedience to King Darius's prophecy. It's going to be the case that every knee will bow before our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to be clothed in these robes, right? The, the, the white was symbolic of purity. Palm branches, a symbol of victory, right? We're going to be celebrating the fact that God has completely purified and cleansed us from sin. We're going to be celebrating the fact of his total victory over every form of evil. And we're going to be with the Lord forever. So that's history from the beginning of time to the end. And everything you learn, every history lesson you have, fits somewhere on this timeline. The only question is, is it being taught in a way that explains, above all this, the dominant story is, God is working to bring all nations to know him, to fear him, and to serve him. So, what I want you to know is that the key difference is, unlike a history lesson you might hear about, say, the War of 1812, you know, or or the, the Smoot-Hawley tariffs. There's nothing we can do about those things now. That's ancient history. However, with this history lesson, we have the clear command from Jesus Christ to join with him in that work, to put our hands to the plow, as Jesus put it, and not look back, but keep on pressing ahead uh, to do his work. Remember, when Paul was speaking to the Athenian philosophers, he said, from one man... God made every nation of men. He determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that people would reach out to him, seek for him, and find him, though he is not far from every one of us. In other words, it's not random where you grew up. It's not random who your parents were. It's not random where you came from. Everything God's doing is for that purpose, that people would reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from every one of us. I think about my, you know, my grandfather came over uh, from, a great-grandfather came over from Sweden in 1912 in December. If he had come in January with Joanna Aline, he would have gone down with the Titanic, right? I think about my two great-aunts who were uh, 
saved at a Billy Sunday crusade and started praying and prayed, prayed, and prayed for decades. They prayed for more than three decades until my father became a believer, the only believer they saw in their family of his time. And then from their family now, four kids, 15 grandkids, who've all been raised and taught to fear and obey God. So that's just my circumstance, but every circumstance you can say, Acts 17 about this. God did this so that people would reach out to him. The nation you were born, the family you came from, it was for that purpose. And he created us for the work that we might join in the work and share with him in preaching the gospel. So Cole has already given you my outline very graciously. Um, We're called to give, we're called to pray, and uh, we're called to go. Here's a verse I love about giving from Luke chapter 16. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they'll receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? So Luke 16, one of the most fascinating parables, Jesus is telling a story of uh, someone who behaves very craftily when it comes to money. And so Jesus isn't, isn't telling us to be crafty in the sense of being deceptive or unethical. What he's saying is, hey, in the same way that this guy used worldly wealth to provide for himself, so you too use worldly wealth to build God's kingdom, right? Use worldly wealth to lead people to Jesus, to fund mission trips, to serve the poor, to send people out. Because in this story, Jesus says, hey, people are going to welcome you into the eternal dwellings. What's that mean? Well, I think it means that the time is going to come when we get to heaven. Someone's going to say, thank you for preaching the gospel to me. Thank you for giving to that missionary who came to my nation and told me about Jesus. And as a result, I and all my family got saved. Thank you for mobilizing the work of God through your giving. Because of that, I'm here now. So I believe people are going to welcome us into eternal dwellings according to the word of Jesus uh, based on how we used money. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Jesus said, whatever you, it, it's, millennia before people sort of accused the Federal Reserve of devaluing money, you know, money's depreciating based on fiat money. Jesus was way ahead of them. He already said, don't store up treasures on earth, right? It's, it's going to depreciate. It's going to wear out. People are going to steal it. Its value only degrades over time. I want to tell you about a place where you can invest and it's going to be there forever, right? Um, we, we teach a financial stewardship class, a, a friend and I at our church back in Delaware, and, and he said this thing one time that really struck me. He said, you know, every time you spend money on something, the, the longer you live, the farther away you move from the enjoyment of whatever you spent the money on. But when you give money, the longer you live, the closer and closer you are to the point where you will see the eternal reward that came from that giving, right? If I spend money and it's here today and gone tomorrow, then the longer I live, the farther away I move from sort of enjoying that moment. But if I give money, if I store up treasure in heaven, the longer I live, the closer I am to the point where I can see oh God, I see what you did with that money. I see how you work to advance your kingdom and gospel, right? And that's why Jesus said, don't store up your treasures here, right? Because they're going to just wear out. 
Um, and, and, and Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, wealth is so uncertain, right? So if you've been entrusted with it, which we in the United States on a relative basis compared to both most nations on earth and most people in this nation up to now, we are in the wealthy end of the bracket, right? So if you've been entrusted with wealth, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in it. Instead, what, what Paul said was, be rich in good works, store up a good foundation for the life to come. So that's on the giving side. On the praying side, I want to share two verses with you. Romans 15.30, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join with me in my struggles by praying to God for me. In other words, join with me and be there with me in the way that you pray. So join with me in my struggles um, or strive together, it's translated here. This is the Greek word, sin agonizomai. Okay, sin agonizomai, long word, but it's divided into two parts. So sin, S-Y-N, it means, um, you know, together, like synthesis, things coming together. It's called, right? So sin means together. Agonizomai, that sounds like agonize, doesn't it? So what Paul was saying is, agonize together, strive together, fight together on behalf of God's work and those who are working for God. Those who are on the front lines for God face a lot of attacks. They face a lot of challenges and a lot of adversity. And so we can, sin agonizomai means we share together with them. We agonize together. We, we bear that burden together so that they can uh, be protected so they can have the strength, and so that we can all work together as a team. The second thing that Paul wrote, 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it also did with you. Um, it, can, it can be translated speed ahead. It can be translated run. Exact same Greek word as Hebrews 12, run, run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. So in both cases, there's this concept of in our, in our walk with Christ, we're called to run and we're called to throw off everything that, that hinders. But here, Paul was using the exact same word to say, we want the gospel to run. There are things that try to hinder and get in the way of the gospel. And so pray that the word of the Lord could run and nothing would hinder it. And there wouldn't be these obstacles that would keep us from being able to proclaim the gospel um, clearly and firmly. As I was preparing for this message, I remembered a story I'd heard years ago of a, a boy here in the States who came home from school and he said, Mom, we need, to, we need to pray for our friends who are missionaries in, I believe it was Kenya. Um, I think they need our prayers right now. His mom said, okay, no problem. When you go to bed, we'll do, as we do our usual nightly prayers, we'll pray for them. Um, and he said, no, Mom, I think we're really supposed to pray right now. Uh, so they did. He and his mom, they gathered and they prayed a few minutes. Then the, the kid just went about his, you know, afternoon home from school. Um, a few weeks later, they heard from their missionaries who were in Kenya that on this exact time, and because of the time zone, it was, uh, you know, late in the evening or early a.m., you know, 1 or 2 a.m. the next day, uh, they heard that there were actually uh, basically robbers that were coming to rob them and to attack their home who were at the door um, and they had a tool that they were trying to break into the gate. And they, as they went out the next morning, they saw the robbers had sort of come most of the way through the gate, but then their tool broke, and there it was lying on the ground. And so they were 
realizing the fact, oh, they put two and two together and realized that was the exact time the Holy Spirit urged us to pray. And so these individuals who are coming in to rob them and potentially harm them were stopped in their tracks. Um, And so as a consequence of that, never resist that urge. If you feel the Holy Spirit saying, it's time to pray for someone, someone who's out there doing God's work, don't hesitate to pray because God is using you to protect and watch over his flock, his church. So why did we talk about praying and giving first? Uh, Because the interesting thing is they all work together. As Cole alluded to, they all work together in tandem. You know, Barnabas, who went with Paul on his first missionary journey, before he was known as a missionary, he was a giver. The first time we see him is the end of Acts 4, where he sells a field he owns and brings the money and puts it at the apostles' feet, right? So he started as kind of a real estate developer, potentially. You know, he owns some land, and he's doing well with it. And then he says, I think I'm supposed to sell this and give the money to the apostles to advance the work of the gospel. Um, And so that's what he does. And then later in Acts 13, a a passage we're going to read at the end, we see him going out and being with Paul on his first missionary journey. But his first involvement that we know about It began with prayer. Uh, It began with giving, rather. Think about the disciples. They're traveling around with Jesus. They're just kind of in awe, seeing him do all these miracles. And Jesus says, there's so much work to do, and there are so few people to do the work. So let's pray. Let's have a meeting and pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his field. Right? That's how that chapter ends. The first verse of the next chapter is, Jesus called them and sent them out. Right? So... And in many ways, Jesus had the prayer meeting. It was over, and he said, great news, our prayers have been answered. You're the answer. I'm sending you out to drive out demons, to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom of God is is upon you. So for them, it was praying, and then, because up to that time, we don't hear about them working any miracles. We only hear about Jesus doing it. And then he starts them with prayer, and then he says, you're the answer to the prayer. I'm sending you out two by two. So that's kind of why we began talking about those all the things, because they all work together. They're all self-reinforcing. The closer you get to the heart of God, the more you want to do all of these things. You want to use every part of yourself to build his kingdom. Thirdly, let's talk about going. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, the same Lord is rich over all is rich to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can shame, shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Reading this passage, I was reminded of the great Baptist minister, William Carey. William Carey was wondering why no one around him really seemed to feel the impulse, the compulsion to go out and preach the gospel. He started by doing research about you know, how many people lived in China who were just dying without any knowledge of the gospel. Um, and so, or sorry, not China, uh, he went to India rather. Um, and uh, what happened was he was at a meeting of ministers and he said, hey, everyone, I I think that part that Jesus said at the end of his life that we're supposed to go out and preach, I I really think that applies to us, 
even today, I think that's what we're supposed to do. And a, a kind of a senior minister, respecter man, elder statesman said, he said this, young man, when God is pleased to save the heathen, he'll do so without your help, right? So he was instantly discouraged, demoralized, thinking to himself, well, he's, he's older, he's experienced, he's kind of the senior guy, and if he thinks we're just supposed to do nothing, but that doesn't seem like scripture. So he was discouraged, but he didn't give up. And then he came and spoke to this group again, and he said, no, we have to go preach the gospel. And that was when he said his refrain again and again, we're supposed to attempt great things for, for God and expect great things from God. He went out, he started a fantastic mission work in India, the fruits of which, some of which are still extant even today. So it was a knowledge that even if others around me don't see this, this is what God's word says, and this is what we have to do. We have to go into all the world. You hear these great stories, and I I thank God for them. Every time I hear of someone who says, no one came to us, but we had a dream or we had a vision, that happens sometimes, but the predominant way, we can't rely upon those in every instance. We need to go and we need to mobilize and assist others in going um, that the gospel might go forth. I want to just uh, read how Jesus put it himself. What is our calling? Matthew 28, 18 to 20 and Acts 1, 8. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Could I ask the, uh, the musicians to, to come up if that's customary here to uh, uh, play one, one final song? As I was reflecting on how to, how to close out this, this message, I, I had two thoughts. The first is a few verses I want to read to you. You don't have them up here. The beginning of Acts 13. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So you see, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that sent out, sent out Barnabas and Paul. But there were also those who remained in the Antioch church. And the Antioch church became an incredible sending church into the future, right? And so if you think about Barnabas and Paul, they answered the call of God and went to go on really what we have as the first recorded long missionary journey to to many cities and towns. But what happened was Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and others, they grew up into those responsibilities, right? When you're in a sending church like this, it's going to be the case time after time that we're going to have the privilege of sending people out. We're going to send them out to other cities. We're going to send them out to other nations. And we're going to pray for God's blessing on them and rejoice in that. But what's going to happen is there will also be people who remain here in this city to be a blessing and build the church. 
And what's going to happen is God's going to grow you. God's going to strengthen you. God's going to fortify you. You're going to say, oh man, well, so-and-so used to be the one who did that, but, but he's gone now, and so we need to step up and obey God and do what he's calling to do. Or she used to be the one who would always step in at this point, but, you know, she's been sent out. So now it's, it's, now I need to step up. Now I need to put my hand to the plow and do what God's called me to do. And so this is really a word for this moment that going is what people are called to do. And we're all called to participate in that work. But there will be seasons where other people are called to go from where you are and you will be called to stay where you are, right? And that's in God's divine purpose too because he wants to reach every city and every nation. And our responsibility, our call is to, to give and pray and support those who leave you know, Chicago and go somewhere else. It's also our calling to say, well, how do I step up? What role do I play? What's God calling me to do? Where am I supposed to you know, put my hand to this work. And, and that's the first thing I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak and to impress. You guys can start playing if you want. Um, but then secondly, you know, Jesus said it's incredibly important that you go out into all the world and you preach the gospel. But you're not ready yet. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. There will be opposition. There will be difficulty. There will be times when it feels like you just want to quit. You just want to give up. You're ready to do so. And that's why Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Power from on high to be a minister of the gospel. All right? So we're going to pray right now. I'm going to pray over all of us. And then the music team's going to sing. If you would like prayer for any of those things, um, if you're just feeling like the Holy Spirit's saying to me that it's time for me to get in the game, right? It's time for me to get in the game and take the responsibility that God's placed in my hands, right? Other people have been sent out. There's work that needs to be done. God, where do I serve? Where are you sending me? What would you have me do here? And then secondly, we can't do this without his power can't do it without his strength. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So if you would like to just pray and have us lay hands on you and say, I want the Holy Spirit to fill me to fullness, to transform me, to renew me, to empower me to do his work, um, then feel free to come up while they're singing and we'll just pray over you, lay hands on you and bless you in the name of Jesus, okay? Let me pray over us all. Thank you, Father in heaven. It's incredible to think about this weighty calling that you have for us. You spoke about it from time immemorial, from eternity past, past you were planning to reconcile the world to yourself. And in it, we look forward to its culmination in eternity future, where we will be forever with the Lord. But God, you don't want us just to hold this blessing inside. You want to use us that your gospel might advance to every kingdom, to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue on the face of the earth. So, Father, I'm praying. I thank you for what's already here inside this church. I thank you for the hearts of generous giving. I thank you for those who faithfully pray. I thank you, God, for those who have been sent out, who will be sent out, those who, 
whether they've been sent to another place or whether they're remaining here in this city and choosing to be the brightest light they can possibly be where you've called them to be right here in Chicago. Thank you, God, for all of those things. Thank you that this church is not going to retain all those blessings for itself, but we're going to send them out to every corner of this city and to every corner of this globe. Father, I pray for an increase. I pray for more, more abundant giving, more faithful prayer warriors, and, and more sending out to every corner of this city, to every place in this world. God, I'm asking you to bring the lost in. I'm asking that they would be saved and baptized and filled with your spirit and added to your church and made into disciples and trained into leaders and mobilized and deployed to Chicago, to this state, to this country, to this world. Father, I'm praying that you would impart to anyone right now, God, for, for those for whom this is, a, this is a real word speaking right to them, God's calling me to step up and serve. God's calling me to step into the, that, that place where we had people sent out and they were launched from this place and now there's a, there's a role for me to play and I'm stepping up. I'm asking you to speak right now. For those whom, whom you're calling, um, Lord God, in it, in it, I pray that you would even birth um, divine new business opportunities and ideas to drop into people's spirits. That um, it, through, through that, more generosity, more giving would, would expand um, as well. Thank you for raising up faithful prayer warriors in Jesus' name. And God, we all need... The disciples were, were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2, and then again they prayed in Acts 4, and they were filled with the Spirit. And then Peter was filled with the Spirit in Acts 5, and then Philip was filled with the Spirit in Acts 6 and 7. And so, God, what we find is again and again we need to be filled. We need to be empowered. We, we ask you one more time to fill us from head to toe with your powerful Spirit that your gospel might go forth in this great city. We pray, God, give us the lost, Lord. Send out workers into your harvest field. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to be over here ready to pray with you if you'd like prayer. There'll be one final song. God bless you guys.